I'm, I got to tell you that I'm moved, I am stirred, I am gratified, I'm so glad to be in this place in your presence as we share the presence of God with one another. And I'm happy for those that are joining us from home, wherever your space is, that you're dedicating to God for this time. But I got to tell you, man, we, there's something about being in each other's presence and sharing the presence of God. And it has happened in this place today, and, it's, and God is not done yet. He wants to bring healing and his presence full of goodness into our lives, especially at the point of pain. This is where we get to remind one another that, um, that nothing is too hard for God. And especially when it comes to our hurts and our heartaches and the, hard, the hardships and the adversity that comes into our life, that uh, God can meet us right in the midst of it as we gather in his name, and that's what we're doing together today. And so we welcome his presence into this space and into this space and into this space. And Lord, help us listen today with our hearts. Can you say amen to that prayer? Amen. Amen. You know the story about the two guys? They were out in a rowboat. I mean, way far from shore. And uh, the guy in the back plank pulls out one of those old-fashioned hand drills, and he starts drilling right underneath where he's seated. And he's like, you know, drilling, drilling, drilling. The guy in front of him noticed what he did. He said, wait a minute, we freaks. What are you doing? And the guy with the drill angrily fires back. What do you mean, what am I doing? This is my seat. What I do with my seat is my business. Will you please mind your own business? Now, what's wrong with that picture? Right? It's not fully accurate, is it? In fact, I mean, they may be sitting in different seats, but they're in the same boat. And that is a picture of uh, God's perspective. This is a story Scripture tells us. Romans chapter 14, verse 7. None of us lives to himself alone. And none of us dies to himself alone. In other words, we share connection on this garden spot planet ecosystem, this global economy that we hear about all the time, this this cultural ethosphere of values. Does it seem to you any less an exaggeration To hear somebody say that every act of our lives impacts somebody else's life with whom we share life in this world. G.K. Chesterton is a writer and a philosopher who once said this, we are all in a lifeboat on a stormy sea and we owe one another a terrible loyalty. Or Lady Soul, Lady Soul sings it this way, if my sister's in trouble, so am I. And you barely open the Bible, Genesis chapter 4, and you're already into the story about that, of God's perspective on this situation is that we live in a one another kind of world. We are in it with one another. We need one another. We're connected to one another. We're responsible in some degree to one another. And Genesis chapter 4, the story of two brothers, is a way that it invites us into that story. 
You know, Abel and Cain, following Abel's tragic murder, the Lord God asked Cain, hey, where's your brother? Okay, wait, do you think God asked him because he didn't know? Because he was needing some fresh information on this, you know? No. Did God, did God ask him because he didn't know what had happened? No. Well, why did he ask him then? Or maybe did God know, hey, if your brother's in trouble, so are you. The Oxford group is known to be the founding fellowship of all the 12-step recovery programs today. You may not know this, but the Oxford group. And it was started before World War II. And ever since they began, this group has always acknowledged and included paying attention to people. Paying attention to the people we've harmed in their steps. Whatever steps they had, however many steps they had, they always invited, including paying attention to the people we've harmed and becoming willing to face them with healing in mind. So, step eight of the 12-step program, if you're familiar with it, simply says this, made a list of all the persons we had harmed and then became willing to make amends to them all. Now, in He Gets Us Focus, we're saying it this way. Jesus values my relationships, so I think of those I've harmed. That's what it means. Jesus gets us. He knows how important our, our relationships are to us. Jesus gets us because he knows that we get hurt in those relationships and that we get harmed in those relationships. He knows that we hurt others and that we harm others in those relationships. It's amazing how Jesus gets us. He knows. And he knows that when hurt comes into our lives, sometimes we just want to callous over it. Sometimes we want to cover it up and act like it's not there. Sometimes we just want to go numb so that we won't feel the pain. Who wants pain? The pain that we cause and the pain that others bring into our lives. And that's why um, this step matters, you know, because Jesus knows that people matter. Relationships matter. You matter. And that's why this step matters. You know what? Forget about the step. Even if there were never any 12-step program of any kind ever, Jesus still says this. In everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. It's like, wait. Jesus is saying, okay, think about others. When it comes to the way you live your life, think about others. Don't ever forget to to always be thinking about others. And when it comes to what you do in your life, then think about how what you do is going to affect others. This is a significant truth in living a healthier life, in finding peace of mind, in rising to another level of sobriety is what they call it in 12-step programs. What they mean is peace of mind, peace of heart. Not languishing and getting stuck, but flourishing and rising up into a a brighter day. Earlier in the same message where Jesus says this truth that we just looked at, by the way, that was the Sermon on the Mount, he said this matters so much that if you find yourself worshiping God and in the middle of your worship of God, something snags your mind about somebody who's got something of concern, then time out, stop worshiping, go to that person first 
and uh, see if you can work things out. In fact, this is how he says it, Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. If you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar, because they altered, they worshiped at the temple, they, he brought a sacrifice. Imagine a person bringing their sacrifice, bringing it to the altar, giving it to the priest. Uh, the, the sacrifice has now been offered and is bleeding out. And right there in the middle of your sacrifice, Jesus says, hey, and then you remember that somebody has something against you, then leave your sacrifice right there and, and go first. What? And be reconciled. Now that word, that word simply means exchange your hostility for goodwill. Just means you're going to make a swap here. You're not going to let hostility have you. You're going to choose goodwill and you make a step forward that way. And then come and offer your sacrifice to God. I'm thinking, man, this is serious. Or at least it's really inconvenient. <laughs> you know, we just came through a wonderful time of worship together, and God has our attention, and in his presence, he says, sometimes I'm going to be bringing people to mind. When you're worshiping me, I'm going to be having you think about other people, and, and when you're thinking about them, I want you to be thinking about them. Now, what I'm... What I'm uh, you know, I could be wrong about this, but I don't think Jesus is saying that you're supposed to be so insecure and so um, immature in your self-identity that you are vulnerable to being controlled or manipulated by other people's opinions about you. That's not what I think he's talking about. That's not what's going on here. He's not telling us, oh, be sure and embrace codependency in your relationships and personal insecurity so that you let other people control you. No, 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 that's not what he's saying here. That's not healthy. That's not helpful. Actually, that's toxic. That's even more hurtful. Here's what I believe Jesus is trying to say. The value of staying aware and clean and current in your relationship in God's presence is significant. Because as we're staying clean and current in our worship, God's, then he's going to be bringing other people into our minds. And it's, this is uncomfortable. People that we have hurt or people that may have hurt us. So I'm thinking that at the heart of this, and like I said, I could be wrong about this, but to Jesus, it occurs to me that the heart of... Uh, that relationships are at the heart of worship. This is the great command expressed a love for God, love for one another, that the way we think about, the way that we think about our neighbors is like a dashboard indicator on your soul's vehicle to give you a true reading on what's really going on between you and God. That the way that we, you know, when we, when we fail to consider how our actions are impacting others, this is actually a disconnect from the very community that we need to stay healthy. Okay, let me say that again for my benefit. <laughs> when we fail to consider how our actions impact others around us, close to us, then we are disconnecting from the very community that we need to stay healthy in life. That's part of what step eight is. It means that, um, it, it means to me that I'm not an island, you're not an island, and behaving like islands as people actually means that we're blowing up the bridges to the community that's going to help us get healthy. Does that make sense? 
following me now? And that when we, when we don't do that, then we lose the life support we need, and it's actually like we're just drilling a hole right in the lifeboat that we're in. May not realize it because we're saying, hey, this is my decision. This is my space. Why don't you mind your own business? And, and Jesus is saying, why don't, we, why don't we think about this? Why don't we reflect on this and how our lives have impact and... Uh, and are connected to one another around us. Of course, first our family, our loved ones, our, and then our friends, and then our neighbors, our colleagues, our, our business associates, and then to um, wherever the circle goes. But then to ask yourself this, huh, what's it been like to have me in your boat? I told you, this is an uncomfortable question. But here's the question. Jesus is saying, what's it been like to have me in your boat? To be connected to me at such a a close opportunity that we're within range of. And then ask yourself this. Because this is a conversation with yourself before God. That's what he's talking about here. He said, where have my defects done damage to people in my orbit? People who I've harmed people that I've hurt. You know, this is really a step in self-awareness. We've talked about this before at, earlier in the steps, but now he's just saying, hey, now, come, come out of that shaded place again. Come out of denial. Stop blaming other people for, you know, some of your choices and your behaviors. It's like step up, own up, and step eight. By the way, time out. Hey, listen to me. If you're already zoning out because of the content and this is kind of heavy and you're saying, man, this is dangerous, um, What he doesn't say is, go apologize. That's not what step eight says. See, it's not in there. It doesn't say, apologize and make restitution. No, it doesn't say that. Not yet. What step eight says is, face the hurts that you have caused for others. It's an exercise in self-awareness. The idea is that if you will face it and you can let go, you become willing to let go of the pain that you've caused others, then you're going to rise to a new level of mental health, of peace of mind, and happiness. So step eight is about taking steps toward healing your past when it comes to others that have experienced your pain. And it begins by making a list, making a list of people that we believe we've harmed, and then showing up with accountability and taking responsibility to ourselves about that list of our mistakes, things that we've said, things that we've done, things that brought harm to others, financially, emotionally, verbally, physically, sexually. I mean, it's all in this list, you know? It's like, it's like saying, if we're going to make peace with ourselves, then we've got to look at where peace has been broken with others. And it's another step in becoming open and honest, transparent, where we think about, I think about, I ask the Holy Spirit in the presence of God in worship to talk to me about where have I been less than honest? Where have I been greedy? Where have I been selfish? Where have I been negligent? Or whatever the list is, you know, the Holy Spirit kind of knows and puts his finger on stuff, broken places in me. Whether it was intentional or not, make a list. So this step says, Don't make excuses, make a list. Make a list of people in your life, in your boat, 
that may have taken harm from you. And then, as you make the list, then sit with it. Look at the list. Think about who's on it. Think about what you said that you did that could have made harm. You're not talking to them yet. You're just stuck. You're just sitting with yourself in the presence of God. And then asking and bringing your attitude to a point of becoming willing. That's what the step says, becoming willing to make amends. Now, sometimes becoming willing is the biggest step of all. My life. You know, the Lord asks you, you know, are you willing to obey me, Bill? You know, I sing songs about here I am, all of me. And, uh, are you willing to obey me, Bill? And in honest moments about that, I'm, I think I'm like you. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I'm going to tell the truth. No, <laughs> I'm not willing to obey you, Lord. No, I'm not. I, I know of times in my spiritual journey that that's been the case. And, and you know what? The Lord has whispered to me softly. I felt this landing. Are you willing to become willing? Ah. Hmm. <laughs> you know, the growth answer to that question is yes. Because then I don't stay stuck in my pain. I don't stay stuck in my past. I'm not hiding from it anymore. I'm not willing right now, Lord, but, you know, I, <laughs> I could be willing to become willing. Just don't know how to get there from here. See, that's what this step is about. And it starts by making a list and saying, here are people in my life that could have taken pain from me, and I'm willing to sit with it. And, you know, the best place to sit with it is with Jesus. That's why we're calling the entire series Jesus Gets Us. Jesus gets us. He, I mean, he knows how awkward it is. He knows how embarrassing it is to, be, to face our failures. Because that's part of what we're talking about here is where did I blow it? And so in his kindness, what we've seen in all the messages before that brought us to this point is that Jesus is so skillful in, in creating the quality of a, of a relationship in his presence that brings us to a safety of transparency. And I'm thinking about some people that Jesus helped with this from Scripture. The first one to come to mind is the woman at the well from John chapter 4. You know, she, when we meet her, she's isolated, she's damaged, she's hurting, and she's so hungry to be loved. She's so thirsty for life, and we're not told her whole story, but we're told enough so that we can feel some of the pain. She's been married five times, divorced five times. In that culture, women don't initiate divorce, men do thrown away five times, been at the altar five times, high hopes five times, and now five times struck out. Home broken, heart broken, that's where we meet her. Maybe that's why she's not married now, but it comes out in the conversation with Jesus that she's living with another man, so that's number six, and her relational life is like what we say, complicated. But after the conversation she has with Jesus, she feels so safe. She feels so refreshed from this living water that he gives her that she goes back into town where her past episodes have actually been lived out on public display. And, uh, and she, here's what she says. She invites everybody to come meet Jesus. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. What? 
It's like she's not afraid of her past anymore. She's not running away from her past. She's running right into the place of where pain was demonstrated and saying, I'm not trapped here anymore. I've got courage to face it, to step into it, and I won't be stuck there because I've found power be- to take me beyond it. This amazing story where Jesus invites her into the place of pain and her harm's done. Another one that came to mind was the guy who was possessed. I mean, he'd been completely overcome by evils beyond his control. He's now possessed by these demons that he'd been dabbling with. Maybe at first he got into them because it made him feel powerful. Who knows? But by the time we meet him in Mark chapter 5, he's being eaten alive from the inside by them. The evil is feeding on him. Addiction can make you feel like that. Like you've lost self-control. And actually, he became self-destructive. He was hurting himself. And he he felt comfortable in the graveyard, streaking around naked and shrieking in his pain because that's what was happening on the inside, coming out on the outside, and until Jesus shows up. (laughs) And then the next scene, I mean, read these for yourself. John 4, Mark 5. In the next scene, Jesus is sitting, the man is sitting with Jesus, He's in his right mind. He's got peace of mind, restored sanity. Jesus has clothed him with his cloak. And and the guy has got a new reason to live. Jesus is at the heart of it, but he says, I want to follow you. He said, no, you got to go home. Okay, who knew this crazy man had a family? But Jesus did. Because he knows that He gets us. He knows how valuable relationships are to us. He knows how painful they can be. He knows what happens in our homes sometimes. And when demons try to interfere and they they hurt us and hurt people, hurt people. Jesus says, you know, you got something now. You got to go home with this. So how did that make him feel? You know, I'm thinking, man, well, I made quite a mess before I left. How do I do that? I mean, I've done some some things I'm not proud of. And Jesus said, you know, you've got to go home. You've got something now that they need to know about. Maybe you've wondered the same thing about a family situation. And that's why you avoid going there. But Jesus said, I can help. I got you. And I'm going to be there for you. Now, young people, teenagers, I want to say, you know, sometimes you listen to a message about a guy like that and you think, man, I haven't lived long enough to make that big a mess in my life. And I'm never going to. God bless you. Hallelujah. I hope that's true. But you don't have to live very long to start realizing that home is where some of those deep damage happen. And it could be calling names. It can be bursts of anger. It can be the withholding of affection, of forgiveness, selfish attitudes, you know. The thing I'm trying to say is that this is for all of us. Jesus gets us. He knows what we're like, and he values our relationships. That's why he helps us think about those that we've harmed. He helps us become willing to step into that space. We typically don't go there by ourselves, do we? And I suppose the most frontal story about somebody who has done harm and then willing to take drastic action to step into that space is Zacchaeus. You know, he's a tax collector for Rome in first century Israel, which means that Zacchaeus essentially practiced legal extortion. And he got away with it because he worked for the government. 
He's a crook, and everybody knows he's a crook, and he knows it too. And he knows that his behavior caused people harm in their life. He's got a client list full of people that he had done harm to as he was just business, you know. But after lunch with Jesus one day, breakthrough comes, and he finds power to face his future by dealing with his past. And everybody he's cheated, here's what he says, Luke 19, 8. I'm going to give half my wealth to the poor. Lord, if I've cheated people on their taxes, I'll give back four times as much. If you'd been one of his clients, would you be happy for this day? You know? And then Jesus says this. Hey, everybody who's willing to listen, salvation just came to this guy's house. Because he thought about people he's harmed, and he became willing to do something that brought him into a new freedom, a new future, a new healing, a new beginning. The damage, this is, the, this is so cool. The damaged place in each of the stories we just heard is the precise place where new thinking and new willingness created an opportunity for new healing. Do you see that? I think we're supposed to. So, where do we go from here? Okay, here's what I'm taking away. First, God wants to pour healing into your heart. Healing into our hearts, into our homes, where the harm has been done. That's what good medicine does. You apply it to the hurt, to the heart, to the wound. Right? So God wants to do that for us. And to get there... He wants us to become willing to consider our part in somebody else's pain. Where have we caused harm? And instead of making excuses, making a list is a way to face it in ourselves. And then here's the third takeaway. In reflecting upon that list before God, as an act of worship, we connect in relationship, then we We give ourselves opportunity to see how connected we are and how our choices have power to affect another person's life for good or bad. See the process taking us through to help us become willing if we will. We give God a chance to show us how to welcome healing and then how to share healing. I grew up in Arizona. Um, actually, I rode to high school every day with a Navajo who, um, who drove. His name was Tilford Oso. Man, could he play basketball. He was amazing. Um, but the, the Indians, American Indians, speak in symbols. And one of the symbols that they use to communicate peace is a broken arrow. Because, you know, you can't shoot a broken arrow. And what this value, this step is trying to tell us is that uh, God wants to bring peace to us as we are willing to make amends with those we've harmed. That means that we're willing to uh, break the arrow. Willing to break the arrow so God can bring peace to the place of pain. Um, I, uh, I guess I need to ask you, is there someone in your boat you need to say you're sorry to? 
Now, I'm not telling you to go do it. I'm just asking you, is there somebody? Think about it. Anybody coming to mind? Somebody that, you know, you were boring your hole down there saying, mind your own business, and, and didn't realize that it was creating harm for them. Is there somebody that you affected by your choices? You know, Zacchaeus had a client list full of people that came to his mind when he was with Jesus. Um, a woman thought of a whole town that had been rumoring about her pain and said, man, I want you in my peace too. Jesus told a story about a young man who was so rebellious that when he left home, one of the first things he thought about when he came into his senses was, I need to apologize to my dad. Maybe you do too. Or maybe a friend or a spouse or a parent that you've injured. Maybe it's a sister or a brother. But somebody that just, you gotta, we need to break the arrow here. You know, Cain had taken his brother's life and... Uh, and when God asked Cain, where's your brother? What does Cain say? He says, who am I? I'm not my brother's keeper. You know, it was full of defensiveness. It was full of denial. He's hiding. He's running again. Now, I don't think God asked him that because he wanted Cain to be his brother's keeper. Actually, Abel was keeping himself pretty well, all by himself at that time, standing on his own feet, living a responsible worship-centered life. <laughs> he didn't need his brother to be his keeper. He certainly didn't need his brother to be his killer. So what was God asking? Hey, you willing to be your brother's brother? We're all connected. That's what I think he wants for us to see, our connectedness, that in our mistakes and our failures, we have opportunity there to bring peace into pain and to learn how to care for one another because we're speaking truth to ourselves. We care for one another. We, we come in to learn to bear one another's burdens. We learn to encourage one another. We learn to forgive one another, to be kind to one another. All those kind of one another's that we see in the letters that Paul and Peter wrote. Taking steps from pain into peace because we're willing to make a list and then sit with it. I'm not saying to apologize to anybody. That's actually, that's next week. So if you don't want to go into the really dangerous territory, don't come next week, okay? Just stay away and we'll all understand. But today, we're just being asked to think about it, to make a list. Maybe some of those names have already shown up in your mind. Then make a list. And then sit with God over that list and say, Lord, I'm willing to become willing, maybe. I pastored in Little Rock prior to coming here, and I remembered a story in preparing this uh, talk of one day when I was in the main worship center, and there was this huge wall-sized stained glass window, and I had all the children from our church daycare in there, you know, little preschoolers. And we were looking at that beautiful window, lots of bright colors, sun shining through. And at the bottom, and I was explaining it. You know, at the bottom of it, there was like the slice of a globe. It was green with vibrant life, and then brown with rich soil, and then uh, blue with the beautiful ocean. And I talked about how God makes a wonderful world because he wants to give it to us as a gift. And then we looked at the top of that stained glass, and there was this golden shining city that God 
the scripture tells us God's prepared a place because he wants to be with us forever and he loves us so much he never wants to be apart from us. And that's the place he wants to take us with him. And then we look down underneath that and there's this life-size, wall-size figure of Jesus in the middle and a rainbow as big as the sky surrounding him. And of course the rainbow reminds us of the promise of God. And then there was Jesus connecting heaven, promise, and earth all by himself in the middle. And then I did this. I said, what does this mean? And immediately they go, let's fight. Like in one voice, let's fight. So then I turned around and I folded my arms and I didn't look at him and I said, what does this mean? And they said, go away. Don't bother me. I'm mad. Leave me alone. Bunch of different answers like that. Then I did this. Extended my arms out, palms up. I said, what does this mean? Looked at him. Let's hug. <laughs> all with one voice. All these priests go, let's hug. And then I said, would you look at that window and tell me, what is Jesus saying? Let's hug. Listen to me. If you're willing to listen to God, then listen to me and see if he isn't talking to you right now. Jesus doesn't want to fight. Jesus doesn't want you to leave him alone. You know what Jesus wants? Abrazo. <laughs> when he tells the story of the rebellious son who's trying to come home to apologize, the father sees him before he can get there, and he's not coming fast enough, so the father runs to meet him, and what does he do? It says he throws his arms around him and gives him a big hug. Peace can meet you in the pain, but only as you become willing to become willing to let it. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we're humbled and so grateful for the truth of Jesus in our lives. We're so thankful, Jesus, that you get us and that when you get us, you let us know that you've got us. Even in the hurt, the heartaches, the hardships that seem to be too much for us, even when death comes, even when loved ones are taken away, that your spirit, that you get us and that you've got us. So I pray today, Lord, help us draw near to you to let you have us in these hard places where we've caused harm. This is really difficult to think about. And yet, we know you told us that if we face the truth, freedom is not far away. The truth can actually be part of setting us free. So sister, brother, are you willing to let God take you into greater freedom? then let him meet you in the pain that you have caused for somebody else and break the arrow, bring peace. And we'll talk about more next week on that, but for somebody, maybe you've realized that uh, you've been out of sorts with God and you want to get close. So this is the day to make a prayer like this. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive my sins. 
Fill me with your spirit according to your promise and now lead me as I turn from my way and learn to go your way in this Christ journey of freedom. I receive you by faith as my Savior and make this prayer in your name. Our heads are still bowed just for a moment, but if you prayed that prayer with me to receive Jesus Christ and begin walking with him and would ask would let me pray God's blessing upon you in these next steps of faith. Would you simply raise your hand and hold it up for a moment so that I have a chance to to see and then pray with you and for you. If you're joining us from home, then please join the chat. Let us know we're praying for you as well. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. To uh, To the center, toward the front, over toward my left, God bless you. The right, right here on the aisle. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Lord Jesus, for every uplifted hand that signifies a heart that is open and willing to trust you, we pray now that your peace that passes human understanding would bring the assurance of your salvation and presence in each life. In your name we pray. Amen.